Okay, well, it is my honor and privilege to introduce you to a good friend of mine, and uh, he's probably a familiar face to most of you. He has been certainly been here before to share his heart and God's word with us. Um, he's Grew up in Napa Vine, and so close to home, and uh, went to Western Washington University, and uh, married his bride, Trisha, and they live in Chehalis with their three-year-old, Jameson. And so uh, for the past five years, I believe, uh, Mason has uh, served as our area director uh, for Young Life, which is not easy, um, but uh, it's amazing to uh, watch uh, the, that ministry grow uh, in his time here. And so constantly I'm thanking God for you and your ministry, and uh, we just pray for you often. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. And so would you all join me in welcoming our guest this morning, Mason Keller. Thanks so much, Ken. Yeah. I can grab one of these here, um, so yeah, my name is Mason Keller. I grew up around the area, so Centralia is very, very close to home for me. I'm going to try and sneak this over here. Um, so for those of you who don't know me or anything about Young Life, um, we are pretty connected to your guys' church family here um, for a few reasons. Oh, I'll grab that cool table. Sweet. Uh, one is that a lot of people in this room um, have given and been participants in Young Life um, over the course of Young Life in Lewis County's history. We have a few people in the room right now who are leaders or have been leaders, um, so they've been volunteers who invest into the lives of lost kids uh, here in Lewis County. We also have our office space right now um, out in the ministry house, which is across the parking lot over there. Um, So your guys' church family, your congregation, um, gives us a space as the Young Life staff to gather and to hop on computers to take care of paperwork and print things and all that good stuff. Um, So we love so much um, the Centralia Nazarene Church and love what you guys have been able to offer to us. Um, It also makes it so we get to link up with some of your guys' pastoral staff every once in a while, and we feel less lonely out in the office um, when we know that your guys' crew is over here. So um, thank you guys so much for offering that to us. If you didn't know you offered that to us, thank you. You do it anyways. Um, So yeah, we appreciate so much having that space. Also, you guys have to know that your board and your pastoral team is so generous to us in that. Um, we are able to do the work that we do over there um, without paying any sort of rent or anything like that. Um, We even get internet piped over there from you guys. It's pretty unbelievable. Um, And that is a huge blessing to us and our ministry. Um, If you don't know anything about Young Life, we are in the business of introducing adolescents to Jesus Christ and helping them grow in their faith. Um, That's our fancy language for we hang out with kids and point them towards Jesus. Um, And we are really about what we would call the furthest out kid from the gospel. Um, Kids that would never wander into this building on a Sunday morning. Um, Kids who haven't grown up around the church, their family hasn't been a part of that. We believe that those kids still need an opportunity to know this Jesus um, that so many of us have gotten to know personally. So we've decided in Young Life that we want to take that 
to those kids. Um, so in Lewis County Young Life, we have 75 volunteer Young Life leaders who are adults that give up time in their daily lives to walk into schools, to sporting events, um, to hang out with kids who don't know Jesus. Um, and we really do that uh, without the expectation that we're going to get to have a sit-down, one-on-one conversation with that kid in the school about who Jesus is, um, because that's pretty frowned upon in our school systems. We just want to get to know kids. Um, we want to care for them and support them, get to know what's going on with them and their stories, and show them that they're loved and cared for. Um, so these 75 volunteer Young Life leaders are really the ones that do the work of Young Life and the work of introducing lost kids to Jesus. Um, I, as the area director, get to help support them and train them and set them up well to go into the lives of these kids. Um, so that's a bit of what we do. And at the end of me sharing, I'm going to get to share with you guys a few specific stories of how God has been working um, in the midst of that ministry and in the midst of that work um, over these last couple of years. Uh, but first off, I want to dive into a bit of um, teaching with you guys and want to take a look at a little bit of scripture. So if you came here hoping to only hear stories about Young Life, I'm not going to do that for you. And if you came here only to hear scripture, I'm not going to do that either. We're going to get a little bit of both of those things. Um, and first off, though, to set you guys up with... Um, where I'm going to go in scripture. We're going to take a look at some scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 1, but I want to give you guys a bit of backstory on this first. Um, and I always want to tell people, there are some people in the room right now who have been going to church um, since my dad was born, um, and you guys have heard many of these stories many, many times, and there are some people in church who have been going to church today um, and haven't been here for years and years and years. So um, those of you who've been here since... 25 years before I was born. Um, bear with me as we recap some of this, because um, I want us all to be able to engage with the scripture that we're going to read. So God enters into this covenant relationship with the nation of Israel, um, with this people group that he has chosen, um, and he's chosen them to walk closely with him. Um, so he, he picked this group of people and said, I'm going to bless you guys, I'm going to give you many descendants, um, and I'm going to give you this land. Um, and it's called, throughout the scripture, it's called the promised land, that God has promised them this space, this home, that he's going to provide for them. Um, and really in exchange, what the nation of Israel is going to do is they're going to be obedient to God. They're going to listen to what he's told them. Um, they're going to trust that he is who he says he is. Um, and they're going to believe that he is going to be faithful and continue to provide. Um, but for any of you who have read the story, um, it doesn't exactly go that way. And what we start to see is this pattern where over and over and over again, God is faithful. And over and over and over again, the nation of Israel proves to not be so much like they, I mean, they just wander away constantly. Um, and when we get to read through this story, it appears that they wander away really, really quickly. Like, God's faithful, and then they fall away. And God's faithful, and then they, I mean, like, it's just instant that we are so prone to abandon God, to leave him, to believe that he's no longer faithful or trustworthy. Um, so, 
where we're going to kind of start to take a look at this story is where the nation of Israel has been enslaved in Egypt. Um, so they're in slavery. They don't get to make their own decisions. Um, the entire people group is a part of slavery. Um, it's not just like some of their people were being oppressed and some of them were doing really well. All of the nation of Israel is in slavery. Um, and then we see God, sorry, I keep like hissing into this thing or something. There we go. Um, we see that God shows up in this huge way um, by delivering them from slavery. And he does that through a pretty unbelievable set of miracles um, that lots of people call the ten plagues, where God brings about all of these plagues onto the people of Egypt um, until eventually Pharaoh, who's ruling over all of them, just says, like, get out of here. I don't want you here anymore. Um, and they get to leave. So they leave slavery, um, and then very quickly, Pharaoh decides, ah, that was a bad idea. Um, so he sends his armies after them. Um, so now I'm just trying to keep a tally of the people of Israel got to see these ten plagues. So that should be ten tallies. They were all miracles. It was like way over the top. These armies are chasing after them, and then God parts the sea. Um, and if you've read this a lot, if you've grown up around this, I think we can go, yeah, God parted the sea. We need to stop and think about this. I got to go to Israel about a year and a half ago. It's a real sea that doesn't have a man-made path that goes over the top of it. Like, you can't walk through the thing. But God parts the water, and they walk through the sea on dry land. I would think, so this is tally mark number 11 that we get to see. Ten plagues and then walking through the sea on dry land. I would think at this point that the people of Israel would go, we are all in. Like, no matter what this God tells us to do, we're sold out. We're going to believe him for everything forever because he just brought these ten plagues, and then he parted the seas. We walked through, and then the seas receded back on Pharaoh's armies. Like, I would think that when they got to the other side, they would all just go, Hey, this story is written. I'm good. Whatever this God says from here on out, I'm in. And they get to see more things. Um, a pillar of cloud leads them to the places that they should camp during the day, and a pillar of fire at nighttime. Pillar of cloud makes a little bit of sense to me. Like every once in a while, we see some weird cloud formations. Pillar of fire at night, though, like that's, this was clearly a miracle. There's nothing about that that they could say, Ah, that was just a weird volcano out in the distance, and that really wasn't God with us. Like, he's clearly showing up over and over and over again. Um, they're hungry because they run out of food. They were poor planters, so they ran out of food, and God provides them with food. He provides manna. When they wake up in the morning, there's just food there. I mean, think about the experience that they're having, this faith-building experience of seeing over and over and over again God shows up for them. They get sick of the manna. So this is like one of my favorite ones. They turn God into their personal chef. Like they decide, we don't like that food anymore, God. We're sick of it. When we were slaves in Egypt, we got to eat plenty of different types of food. We want to go back to slavery. Like how insane is this? They decide we'd rather go back to slavery because we got to pick the foods that we ate a little bit there. And here we have to keep eating the same thing that God provides for us from out of nowhere. He lays this in front of us. So then God says he'll provide quail. Um, and he, like, he stacks them up high 
There's quail everywhere. He says that they're going to eat quail until they'll wish that they've never seen quail again. Um, So they got sick of this food, and God provided different food. God provides water out of a rock. Like, they're thirsty. Again, they say, hey, we wish we were still in slavery. Why didn't he just let us die there? And then God provides water out of a rock. So over and over and over again, we see this pattern where the nation of Israel, they run up against some sort of a hurdle. They decide God's abandoned us. He's led us out here to die. God is faithful. They keep walking along. They run into another hurdle, and again, they forget about the last one. They start to long for the slavery that they had back in Egypt, um, and they decide, hey, God cannot provide for us again in this situation. So that catches us up to where we're going to jump into this scripture. Um, What we're going to be taking a look at here is Deuteronomy chapter 1. Um, If you want to throw that up here. So right before this, um, they're getting closer to the promised land. They can see that it's out in front of them, and they decide we're going to send some people to check it out. Um, And they were really looking for two things. One they wanted to see, is this place that we're going to any good? Or like, did, did God send us out of Egypt and all the way across this desert to some just piece of garbage land? Like, is this any good? Do we really want it? And then two, who are we going to have to knock out of the way to be able to take it? Um, and we get to see this here. It says, these spies, these people who they sent out, um, taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. And then it says, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we. Are, and taller than we are. The cities are large, with the walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, this is Moses speaking to them, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes, and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. So the spies go into this land. They see that it's good land. Um, They bring back some of the fruit with them. But they have this other side to that report that, I mean, and guys, this is my favorite of the nation of Israel's whinings. They've decided that after God parted the seas, after the cloud and the pillar, after the manna from heaven, after the quail, after the water out of a rock, they've decided this land looks like a good place, but the people there are a little tall. Like, they probably don't want us to come in and live in their homeland, and they're a little bit taller than us. And, like, I don't know how much taller they were. Like, I don't know if Israelites are five foot nine and the Amorites are six foot two. Like, were they giving up 
five inches to them, or like maybe they were really tall, like they were six five, and like they were giving up eight inches to them. Like how tall are these people that after watching God part the seas and walking through on dry land, you would decide that maybe God could do, could do. but these people are really tall. And when we get to read it, we think they're stupid, right? Like, we look at the nation of Israel and we go, they're, like, they're just dumb. They cannot figure this out. But guys, I am this group of people. This so often is the way that I live out my faith. I come to the next hurdle and I go, Lord, back there you showed up, maybe. But here, I don't think it's going to happen. This pattern repeats over and over and over again for the nation of Israel. I think they're dumb. And then I walk the exact same path over and over and over again. I see God show up. um, And then at the next hurdle, I doubt that he could do it again. I start to long for the slavery that I was in before. Um, I think sometimes the nation of Israel here, they forgot what they were set free from. They say they longed for slavery again. They wish they could go back. Um, They wish that God just would have killed them in Egypt. Um, I have to think that that means they forgot what it was like there. They forgot what they were set free from. And guys, I know that this is a personal experience of mine. I forget the work that God has done in my own life. I forget what I've been set free from. Um, And then I long for the comfort of that. I want to go back to it. Um, one of my awesome, dumb examples of this is uh, when I get stressed out, I am aware that I should turn to the Lord in prayer and trust him. But sometimes, rather than turning to the God who created the world and everything in it, I decide to go into my pantry, um, and I have this little box with Reese's Pieces inside of them. Um, That's code for peanut butter with a chocolate candy coating around the outside of it. I decide that rather than going to God who created the world and everything in it, I'm going to go to Reese's Pieces and throw a few of those in and maybe I'll feel a little bit better. Like this is what I do with my stress rather than trusting the Lord with it and believing that he is going to continue to provide for me. I think often we also start to look back on the miracles that God has performed in our lives, the ways that he's shown up, and we start to doubt that they actually happened. We believe that we romanticized it, um, that it was a coincidence, and then we really bought into that God had done this. And guys, I have to believe that the nation of Israel did this as well. Because it's the same people that walked through the sea that say that these people are too tall. So I have to believe that somewhere in their memory they've started to go, was it really through the middle of the sea? Or were we like kind of in the shallows and then the tide went out and then we got to walk along dry ground? Like I think that they have to create in their minds some way that God didn't really perform this last miracle. Or was it really water that came out of a rock? Or was there a natural spring there and then we rolled the rock over and then water came out? Like, they have to come up with some way to believe that God didn't really perform this miracle, to doubt him so quickly, 
um, when the next hurdle shows up. And guys, I do this over and over and over again. Um, Working for the mission of Young Life means that my salary comes from the giving of people like you guys. Um, It actually comes from the giving of some of you guys. There are people in this room who give financial support to the mission of Young Life, um, and if that money doesn't show up, then I don't get a paycheck, and then I don't pay my bills, and I lose my house. Um, So this is the way that my entire adult life has run. Um, I got my engineering degree at Western Washington University, and I moved home to work for Lewis County Young Life. I've never had a real job besides working for Young Life. Um, So my whole way of being has functioned on this system where God has to provide these dollars that aren't mine for me to be able to continue to live. But when any new hurdle shows up, I all of a sudden am like, ah, we're going to lose the house. Like, it's all over. We're done. There's no hope. Um, You guys think that I'm joking. I'm not. Um, So I have have two two high schoolers that live in our house with us. Um, So our family is my wife, Trisha, right over here. Jameson, who's three, who's uh, over playing with some of your guys' kids also. Um, And then Alex, who is 16, and Christian, who is 18. Um, They've been living with us for, oh, Christian's been with us for about eight months, and Alex for about six. Um, So these are high school students um, who, through kind of some rough circumstances, ended up homeless, um, and then they came to live with us. And when they started living with us, it was December. um, And for those of you who pay the power bill, um, December, January, February can kind of be a rough time. So um, we also have these cadet in-wall heaters that are like just garbage. Um, They are the least efficient way to heat your house ever. Um, And our exterior walls aren't insulated. Um, So usually in the summertime, our power bills will dip down around like 120, 140 bucks. And then in the winter, they'll peak out at like 310. Um, so the boys moved in with us, um, and then I think it was in March that I'm getting our power bill, and I knew, like, I knew that this would be a bit of an issue, right? Like, I was aware we're heating upstairs now when we didn't used to heat upstairs. Like, this power bill is going to come in a little bit higher than I'd like it to. And I get the email on my phone from the PUD and, like, I was at Sun League Basketball. It's this basketball program that we put on. And so I was setting up for Sun League, and I get the email, and I'm like, oh, I just shouldn't look at that until later. But, I, you know, like, I just had to click on it. Like, what kind of damage has been done? And I'm, like, crossing my fingers going, show me 400 That'd only be, like, $90 higher than what it normally is, and we can figure that out. And so I click on it, and immediately my heart, like, sinks down somewhere into my stomach. 5.56, right? Like, from the last power bill to this one, we've doubled. Like, we're paying for twice as much power as we were in the last two-month period. And I immediately start to go, well, we're going to have to sell the house. Like, that's what's going to happen, obviously, because this bill's way bigger than it's supposed to be. Um, and there's no way that God's going to show up and provide for this this time. 556 has done us in. It's been a good run. That was fun. Um, Now we'll throw in the towel. Um, 
And, like, I'm only kind of exaggerating. Like, I legitimately am sitting there going, you know, we can figure this out. Like, we've got some money in savings. This will work out. Like, God wanted these kids to come and live with us. I'm sure he's going to provide for us to be able to pay a power bill that's a little bit bigger. Um, but there's a part of me that's going, what, how do you file for bankruptcy? And <laughs> I know that it's not like Michael Scott does it in the office. I don't just get to say, I declare bankruptcy. Like, I'm going to have to do things, and then I probably won't own a home again later. Like, what's this process going to look like for me? Um, that quickly, that small of a barrier makes me feel like, has God ever shown up before? Like, the ways that he's provided for us in the past financially, and I mean, guys, the miracle that it was for those kids to live in our house— um, they're kids from our juvenile detention ministry, so I met both of them wearing orange jumpsuits, and then a year and a half later, um, they end up moving into our house, and we get to disciple them day in and day out. I see those types of miracles all the time, but I get a power bill for $556, and I decide the whole thing's garbage. Um, and I guess my encouragement to you guys in that is the nation of Israel was as bad at this as we are, um, and God continued to show his faithfulness. I am as bad or worse at this than you are, and God continues to show his faithfulness. Over and over and over again, even when I don't believe him, he shows up. Um, In that situation, I did, like this was miraculous. Um, One of the principals of the Shehala School District sent me a text a couple of days later and said, hey, can we get together? I've got something that I want to give you. Um, This family of the two boys that live with us, there are seven of them, um, seven boys. So the Shehala School District knows them really, really well um, because they've seen lots of them, um, and they've been prone to cause a few issues um, in their schooling. So the Shehala School District has seen these kids a ton, and they heard that two of them were living with us, and the administration got together and said, hey, we think what the Kellers are doing is really cool, and we think it's probably pretty expensive for them to raise these two high school boys, so we want to give them some money. Um, So she showed up with a check for $200 for us to use in whatever way we could need um, to help provide for the kids. God shows up even when I'm like, hey, I don't don't really know. Uh, I don't really know if you can overcome this hurdle. And guys, it happens all throughout Scripture. This isn't just an Old Testament thing, um, that we see God's faithfulness and then people decide, eh, maybe not. Um, Probably the best examples of this is Jesus performs all of these miracles, and then he gets arrested, and the disciples are like, oh, it was all a sham. Like, we're done. They watched this guy walk on water, and then he gets arrested, and they're like, well, he's arrested. Like, they're going to kill him, and it's all going to be over. Like that quickly, Peter decides, no, I don't have anything to do with the guy. I've never seen him before. I've never talked to him. Um, I think part of this story is that we choose to settle for something less than what God wants to provide us with. Um, The nation of Israel is set free. They're being brought into this promised land that's going to be good. They're going to have descendants. And then they say they want to go back to slavery. They decide to settle for something less than what God has called them to. Um, 
the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, he comes to Jesus with this question, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus walks him through this process of coming to see, hey, go sell all your stuff and come and follow me. And the guy walks away sad. Because there's something about selling all of his stuff and going to follow Jesus that he knew was the better thing, but he still felt like, nah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm going to hold on to what I've got. That over and over and over again, this is God's story in our lives, that we don't believe him, we don't trust him, and then he is faithful. That we decide to settle for some lesser version of life than what he's called us to, and he continues to be faithful. Um, a question that I want to ask each one of us in this room is, do we put ourselves in the situations to see God's faithfulness show up? Because um, I think some of you are sitting in the audience right now going, yeah, I get that, like I do that, maybe not, maybe not as bad as me, but you're like, a little bit, I do some of that. Like, I see that God's faithful, and then I decide maybe he can't get me over this next hurdle. Maybe he isn't going to show up this next time. Um, some of you see that going on in your lives. Um, I think that some of us, though, go, I, yeah, I don't really know. Like, I don't know where God shows up. I don't know when he's been moving in my life. Like, I, don't, I don't know if he's been up to anything. Uh-huh. And my encouragement to you guys in that place is, uh, would you put yourself in a situation where he would need to show up? Um, do you trust him with anything? So in my line of work, I get to work with baby Christians, and not like babies, but 17-year-olds who met Jesus yesterday. Um, and they feel like, I know very little about this, but there's something about it that I want. Um, I want something that this Jesus has to offer me. I want to know him more. But, I mean, these are kids who have heard like five or six stories out of the Bible in their entire life. Um, and they heard all of them when they were hanging out with us at Young Life Club on a Monday night or when they went to camp with us in the summer. Um, but they've decided to put their trust in Jesus. Um, but gosh, let me tell you, these are like baby steps of putting their trust in Jesus. Um, kids sit in front of me and say, hey, like, Mason, I, I want to give my life to Jesus, but I don't know if I can give him everything. And I'm always like kind of sitting over on the side in my side conversation in my head going, spoiler alert, you're probably never going to do that really well. Like you're probably never going to give all of yourself over to Jesus really, really well. Because the nation of Israel were the called chosen people. And they're clearly not that great at it. But God is still faithful to them. And I encourage these baby Christians, what if you trusted him with something and then saw that he was faithful? And if you remember that he was faithful last time, it would give you the courage to trust him with something else. Um, guys, I believe that this is the faith-building process for most of us. Um, it's very uncommon that we're capable of abandoning everything that we are at the altar, at the cross, and saying, hey Lord, it's all yours. Um, usually when we do that, then we like collect up five or six other things and go, except for these, I, I want these ones still. But when we see that he's faithful with what we've given him and we remember it, then when we get to the next hurdle, we go, okay, Lord, I can hand this over to you again as well. Um, 
And my hope is that we can be the type of people that would begin to remember the ways that God has shown up and trust him at the next hurdle that we see. But maybe even more than that, that we would be the type of people who, even when we don't trust him, we would at least be able to believe that he is still good. Because even when we didn't trust him last time, he was good and he was faithful. Are we putting ourselves in positions where God needs to show up? Or are we safe and comfortable? Guys, a part of this story in the Old Testament is Moses and God continuing to tell the nation of Israel to remember. Um, There are some specific verses that talk about telling their children about what God has done. Because some of the children that were being born throughout this journey, they didn't get to see them walk through dry land in the sea. Um, Guys, do we tell our children that? Do we tell people the work that God has done in our lives? Um, Like, I would encourage you guys in the drive on the way home, talk about that. What are ways that God has shown up? How has he provided for you? How has he continued to show his faithfulness to you? Um, Because if we don't remember those when we get to the next hurdle, uh, we start to doubt that that ever happened. And guys, I wanted to walk you through this experience of God being faithful and us turning away from him and what the nation of Israel has done and what so many of the characters in the Bible have continued to do and what I have continued to do because I'm going to tell you guys some stories of God showing up through the mission of Young Life. Um, But when I tell you those, I need you to know a couple of things. One is these stories are not done being written. Uh, These are stories where God has shown up and I have to pray and plead that he will continue to show up over and over and over again in the lives of these kids because never do I get to say that their story is done being written. Um, Some of them are still in the midst of just some crazy stuff that's going on in their lives. And God is showing up in that, um, and sometimes they're believing him for that, and sometimes they're not. Um, So these stories aren't done being written, and I want us to be able to know, like some of the kids in these stories would go, yeah, I'm trusting Jesus with this. Um, And that is a miracle for us to get to watch. Um, And some of these kids have seen significantly larger barriers be torn down. Um, But I think we need to know that these stories aren't done being written and that we can continue to pray for these kids, um, that God would continue to show himself to them, um, and that they would continue to trust their lives to him. Um, The other reason I tell you guys that is because I don't want to share these stories with you and then have you guys go, oh cool, Young Life's doing cool stuff. Young Life is not doing cool stuff. God is performing miracles in front of us. Um, we get to be the people who are just willing to step out and go, okay, I'll see what happens here. Um, And then we watch God show up. So each one of these stories are ways that the God that you follow, that you serve, is showing up in the lives of lost kids here in Lewis County. Um, And I hope that if you're driving home in the car thinking about how has God ever shown up in my life and you feel like it hasn't happened, you can at least start here and go, God showed up in that kid's life and that meant something. Um, so we can put some flags in the ground. To start, no, look, God has done something here. And then we can pray that he's going to continue to show up in front of us again because we've seen that he's faithful over and over and over again. The first story I want to tell you guys um, This is a girl who 
came to Young Life really because her science teacher and her Spanish teacher kept noticing her. And she's a kid who I think a lot of times in life hasn't been noticed. Um, But her science teacher and her Spanish teacher knew her name and talked to her and paid attention to her. And her science teacher and her Spanish teacher went to Young Life Club on Monday nights. So eventually she decided, hey, I should show up there as well. Um, And she was pretty hesitant and pretty back corner kid, um, is just dealing with a lot. uh, This is a kid who's been in foster care, so has dealt with a lot of rejection from her own family as well. Um, So you can love her for a very, very long time, and she's not going to really believe that it's going to stick because the people who are supposed to love her the most in her life didn't do that super well. Um, So she signed up to go to camp with us. but really wasn't on board with the whole Jesus thing, was not motivated about that, wasn't excited about that. On the first night at camp, oh, you're the man. The first night at camp, um, we, we do some activities, um, and then we head into the club room, um, which is where we're going to give a spoken message about Jesus Christ. Um, and trust me, if you think you know what this looks like, you just probably don't, um, because we're going to give a spoken message about Jesus Christ after we sing two Taylor Swift songs, and the program team hosts what they call a cat party, where everyone hops up and does this crazy dance like they're cats, and I mean, it's controlled chaos in the Young Life Club room at camp, Um, and this girl really can't handle that. She's like, there's 500 people in there, um, it's too loud, it's too noisy, so she sat outside of the club room and was like, like, I can't do that, I can't go in there, um, I have social anxiety, like, I'm not walking into that building. Um, but she said she'd go in when the message started, um, which she kind of did. When the message started, she went in through the doors to the club room, but at the back of the club room, there are these curtains that they pull closed so that if it's dark on the stage and someone opens the door up, it won't flood the stage with light. So these curtains are pulled closed. She walks through into the club room, and she stands at the back of the club room behind the curtains and didn't watch the speaker give the message, but listened. And then the second night, she sat outside of the club room, and this time it was kind of social anxiety, but kind of nobody's going to miss me if I'm not in there. She doesn't, oh, I'm going to cry. She doesn't believe that she's important. She doesn't think that anyone cares. Her own family abandoned her. She described herself out in front of that club room as an edge piece to the puzzle. She said, you don't really need the edge pieces to see what the picture looks like, uh, but people kind of just like to put them in because it makes them feel like they finished it. Like, I don't need to be in there because no one's going to care that I'm out here. I don't need to be inside of there because it really doesn't matter if I'm here or not. A part of that conversation for her is it really doesn't matter that she's here on earth or not. She feels like she has no value and no purpose and no one's communicated that to her. And we told her, that's a lie. It's not true. Um, And we believed for her that there's something in that message about this Jesus Christ that's being communicated that night that she needs to hear. So begrudgingly, like two minutes after the club talk started, she walked in, and this time she sat down in the last seat at the back. And then on the third night, she walked in a little bit earlier, 
Um, and then on the fourth night, she just decided to go in on her own. Like, we didn't have to push her in there. We were really confused, actually, as we stood outside of the club room looking for this girl who should be trying to avoid us, but she was actually inside there and was listening to the message. On the seventh day, we give kids an opportunity to stand up um, at the end of the camp week and say what God has done in their life, um, declare the work that God has done in their life. And she stood up in the club room that she wasn't willing to walk into seven days earlier, and she grabbed the microphone, and she told everyone, my name is Cheyenne. I go to Naphavine High School, and I gave my life to Jesus. And she gets to trust, and guys, trust me, for her, it's this much of her to this God who loves her. I want to put a flag in that and go, no, God has shown up and he's going to continue to show up. Um, Because, guys, I get to see these types of things happen over and over and over again. And then I go, "Ah, was that for real? Like, what really happened there? She still has a bunch of junk that she's dealing with. Like, is God going to be able to continue to show up to get her through the next hurdle? Is he going to be able to show up when she goes home and gets moved to a different foster placement? And then she feels like, hey, God, where were you at in that? But would we believe that God has shown up here and trust that he's going to show up again? Isabel went to camp with us as well. Um, Isabel started coming to club uh, at WF West in the winter. Um, and then through the spring, she was there every single week. So Monday nights, she's getting together with a bunch of kids from WF West and Young Life leaders to play some games, have some fun, and hear about Jesus. And she decided she was going to get herself to camp. Um, so she starts selling pies and selling coffee cards to raise money to get to camp. Um, she raised all of her money. She goes to camp, and on the first day, she pulls her leader aside and says, hey, can we talk one-on-one? I've got something that I wanted to talk with you about. And her leader's like, yeah, we actually do that with every kid at camp. Um, With every kid who goes to Young Life Camp, their leader sits down with them one-on-one, and we have what we call a one-on-one, where we talk to them about what's been going on in the week, where they're at with that, and where they're at with Jesus. So she said, yeah, we're going to do that for sure. Um, But Isabel really wanted to do it, like, right now. Um, So, like, on the second day, Isabel and her leader sat down, and Isabel said, hey, I, I used to know Jesus. Like, I used to walk with him when I was a little kid, but I haven't for a really, really long time. Um, And I kind of pushed that totally aside. And I want to do that again. And so her leader prayed with her, and she recommitted her life to Christ. Um, But one of the other girls who came to camp with Isabel, um, Jennifer, they're in the same cabin. And they used to be friends, um, but when they got into high school, Jennifer kind of started walking down a rougher road, and Isabel, Isabel wanted to make better decisions, so they parted ways, and Isabel's mom actually told her, you're not allowed to hang out with Jennifer. So Jennifer and Isabel are in the same cabin together, and Jennifer starts to show some more interest in this Jesus, and in this life that Jesus could offer her. And so Isabel sits down with her leader again and says, hey, when we go home, I think Jennifer's going to need someone to walk with her as she's trying to figure some stuff out about who Jesus is. And I want to be able to be that person. So I think I should talk to my mom and ask her if I could hang out with Jennifer again because I really think she needs this um, and I want to be able to step into her life in that way. 
So they come back home. Uh, Isabel has this conversation with mom, and then her leader gets a text from her um, that says, hey, how do you give someone a Bible? And her leader's like, what are you talking about? Like, give it to them. She was like, well, I really feel like Jennifer needs a Bible because she wants to be reading and learning more about Jesus, but she doesn't have one. And so I went and I bought her a Bible. And I was wondering if it'd be weird if I just like went over to her house and gave it to her or like how you give someone a Bible. And so her leader, Katie Liskey, says, yeah, go for it. Like, just give it to her. I think she'd really like that. So Isabel, a 17-year-old who was lost weeks before, shows up to Jennifer's house to give her her first Bible and say, hey, I think we should read this together. Um, Guys, God is showing up in big ways. Um, Let us not forget that and act like he won't continue to show up. The last story I want to share with you guys is a little closer to home um, because he lives inside my house. Um, So Alex is the 16-year-old who lives with us. Um, Alex uh, met me about two years ago in juvenile detention. Um, And we... uh, we started hanging out when he got released, and so he'd come over to the house for club every once in a while, and I'd see him around town, and um, last year, he went to camp with us, um, and when he was at camp, he gave his life to Christ, and he was like, some things have got to change. Um, Based on Alex's background, uh, like, he started selling drugs when he was 11 years old to help pay the power bill, um, because that's what had to happen um, for the power bill to get paid. So, Alex is like, I'm done dealing drugs. I've had it with this. I'm not going to do that anymore. I want this new life. Um, But he had a lot of doubts when he left camp last year. He believed Jesus for something. He believed that he needed this life that Jesus was offering him, but he wasn't sure about how all this works. He wasn't sure about how God was going to transform his life from where he was at. Um, So he came back from camp. He got rid of his drugs. He got a job. Um, He was expelled from school at that point in time, so he got back into school. Um, And this summer, he decided that he wanted to go back to camp and serve on work crew. So he was going to volunteer a month of his time to mow lawns at Washington Family Ranch, our Young Life camp down in Oregon, so that other kids could come to camp and hear about this Jesus who had changed his life. And guys, trust me, going into this, Alex, like, I asked Alex for work crew. He needed to write out what his relationship with Jesus looked like. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. We're kind of friends. Like, he's given some trust to Jesus, but gosh, he's still holding on to a lot. Um, And if you asked him, hey, what do you know about God? He'd be like, I don't know. Like, I could maybe give you two or three things. But he trusts God enough to go and give up this month of his life to serve at camp. And we got to see some pretty unbelievable things happen. There was a cabin of kids that showed up at camp when Alex was working there. They were from Bend, Oregon, and all of these kids go to an alternative school there, which means they've gotten kicked out of the traditional high school. They go to an alternative school, and now they came to Young Life Camp, a group of five guys from the alternative school. And let me tell you, they were not having it at Young Life Camp. And by not having it, I mean like me as one of the head leaders who's supervising their cabin and their leader getting cussed out not just like once a day, like four or five times a day by multiple kids because they did not want to be there. They didn't want to hear about Jesus. They heard we had a skate park, and they were pretty motivated about that. Um, So all they wanted to do was be in the skate park to the point where like one of them climbed the fence when they weren't supposed to be in there and jumped into the skate park so that they could skate. 
they're not going into club, they're not listening to the messages, and Alex shows up when they're sitting outside of the club room during the club talk, and he starts to talk with them. And it was the first time that those kids ever saw anyone who came from a situation that was rougher than theirs who was trying to follow after Jesus. And Alex got to tell them that he doesn't know how this whole thing works, he doesn't know everything about this Jesus, he hasn't read the whole Bible, but that last year when he went to camp, he gave his life over to Jesus, and that today his life looks totally different than he ever thought was possible. And that that is the opportunity that they had that week at camp. And they went to the rest of the club talks, and they heard the rest of the messages. Um, God got to use Alex to help show these other kids who Jesus was. Um, and God used all of this to continue to show Alex who he is, how he's faithful, that he's shown up over and over and over again, and that he will continue to show up. And again, guys, I tell you, each one of those stories is not done being written. Um, I constantly carry this doubt inside of me that goes, God, are you going to continue to show up? Like, is Alex going to continue to walk with you for the rest of his life? Is Isabel going to continue to reach out to people and point them towards you? And I, I, these doubts creep up inside of me. And guys, please, you guys have permission to encourage me. No, God is going to continue to show up as he has before. He is writing a long story, um, and we get to see a little piece of it. Um, would we be the type of people who continue to have faith that God will show up? Um, and would we be the type of people who continue to believe um, that he worked in the past, those were real miracles, um, and he's going to continue to do so again. So I'm going to pray, and then I think that the worship team is going to come back up to send us out of here. So, Lord, we thank you that when we doubt, you are still faithful. Um, we thank you that when we have such little faith, you continue to provide for us. Lord, we trust you and we believe you um, for big things in our own lives. We believe you for, the, for big things in the lives of Alex and Isabel and Cheyenne. Uh, Lord, I'm so grateful that when we decide that you're not big enough, not good enough, uh, not strong enough, that you continue to show us over and over again. Um, Lord, you are so good. We trust you. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.